Thank you for listening to Knocking Doors Down, brought to you by KDD Media Company. Being an addict and then being in recovery doesn't mean that I'm less worthy of picking up my life. Maybe not where I left it off, (laughs) but in a way that still is like a moving forward trajectory toward what I want and what I wanted to bring into my life to reach fulfillment. So it's that, you know, yeah, we're not defined (laughs) by the poor decisions that we make and we're not limited by them. This is Knocking Doors Down inside the 5150 Studios. Your host, Jason The Chance, here with Mikey Naraki. What is going on, people? Of course, I come from a background of alcoholism, and I say, of course, as if, oh, so everybody does. But yes, yeah, so sure by now they do. Yeah. <laughs> background of alcoholism, some childhood trauma, some uh, sexual abuse, and uh, uh, divorce, and lots of other areas. So I uh, use that to fuel uh, speaking with people who have taken their adversities, turned them into an advantage. Mr. Naraki, no different, gone through a uh, uh, many a hardships of his own. Yeah, I got myself busted a time or two. What are you going to do? A little stint in rehab. And uh, so we've taken this amazing opportunity to uh, speak with people all over the United States. Of course, not only via Zoom, but we've been jet setting, wheeling, dealing, fl- like Ric Flair style. Limousine rat! <laughs> no, there were no limousines, but you get the point. <laughs> Everywhere from LA to visiting Caitlyn Jenner to flying to Philadelphia. So we're doing everything we can to make it happen to get these great conversations out to you guys. And our guest, Catherine Hudson, is no different. <laughs> Such a sweetheart, too. Yes, uh, she was. Catherine is a, a fiction, a science fiction writer, and um, she comes from a wow, a really tough background of uh, trauma, addiction. Uh, she speaks in there of like heroin, just being like a choice. Sure, I'm going to jump in here and try this. Yeah. Uh, but her story is so, you know, it's unique, yet it's not unique to anyone that has suffered through addiction. And her uh, outlet at the age of 10, what she talks about, that age being the earliest she recalls in life was really writing and expressing herself and her addiction really took that away and Mm -hmm. and going through her sobriety if she could get that back yeah and uh she does it with a great sense of humor oh yeah great (laughs) sense of humor her and i were definitely on the same page throughout the whole interview so yeah (laughs) so you guys are gonna really enjoy it and of course uh we thank you guys for listening please subscribe tell a friend check out some of those past interviews man mike the situation sorrentino uh we've got a course coming up for you guys bam margera himself and brandon novak so we've got past episodes really exciting upcoming episodes and so much more that's right ending the year with the bam that's right well Let's get into it with Miss Catherine Hudson. Miss Catherine Hudson, thank you for joining us on Knocking Doors Down. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's neat to have you come along our way. And it's like, oh, man, we got to speak with, with this lady. She sounds like she's <laughs> doing some awesome stuff. You, you're an author primarily in the sci-fi fantasy genre. And you've written, what, over 60 books, near 70 books? Yeah, it's uh, 72 now. Not, they're not all under my name, but that is how many I've written. <laughs> I've, I've got a number eight of my own coming out in December. Okay, so nice. you go under a pseudonym? I am also a ghostwriter. Oh, really? As well as writing my own stuff, yeah. Wait, so hey. that's, the, the writing is, uh, it, well, it's more than 40 hours a week, but that's, <laughs> oh, that's wow. my day job. Yeah, so that's yeah. what I do. That's insane. How did you yeah. come, come about into being an author? Oh, that was always what I wanted to do. That was like my dream since I started writing when I was 10 and uh, didn't 
uh, I managed not to completely abandon that dream <laughs> along the way. Um, but uh, I, you know, I had tried the traditional uh, querying traditional agents, tried to get a publisher um, that didn't land me with anything. Actually, the, the two books that I did query became sellers on Amazon and one of them is an international bestseller wow. on multiple platforms. So I figured uh, that being an indie author and indie publisher was the way I wanted to go. And uh, I feel like I've been doing pretty well with that. So I started writing when I was 10 and um, I did go to college at uh, CU Boulder mm. in Colorado for creative writing fiction and um, released my first book in 2015. And from there it's it's just been an uphill trend, which is awesome. That is. That is good that you got that momentum. Mikey, you were going to ask something when she mentioned ghostwriter? One of the words you said. that Ghostwriter? No, before that. What, what you is, said, so you're a blank, meaning go, you said that right before ghostwriter. It was just some book terms that I wasn't aware of. Oh, I don't know. Pseudonym. 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 What the hell is that? So, like, <laughs> like if I wrote under the name uh, Tom Robinson. Oh, as to Jason, got you, got or, you. Okay. You know. So I had to yeah, clear that up name. for non-book readers that listen to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pseudonym. 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 So let's jump back then to uh, to little Catherine. Now, what was uh, yeah. you know what was childlike uh, childhood like, and where did we get uh, you know that that spark was you know it's always funny we find that people that are pursuing their passion it, it was a real release and especially for those that maybe suffered with addiction or had it in our home or childhood trauma that it was our our escape from uh from all the the bullshit for lack of a better word that was going on yeah um that's exactly what it was for me and actually the the year that i started writing when i was 10 it's pretty much like as far back as most of my memory goes, um, mm -hmm. I think that I, I may very well have blocked out everything else before that, just mm -hmm. simply because of the fact that I hadn't found that thing for mm -hmm. me that really lit me up and that gave me that escape. Um, so when I started diving into reading way more than I had before, um, the year my parents got divorced, <laughs> like mm -hmm. all the things happened when I was 10. I, I can't say that I remember much before then. Um, things were things were still pretty rough, even when I was ten. What I do remember, and um, uh, when I started writing, I realized that was something I really loved to do. Um, and my my parents had gotten divorced, and um, that was a rough that was a rough situation um, for everyone involved, um, and it stayed rough for quite some time and I ended up spending I spent the next six years basically living out of a suitcase so oh, I packed man. my bag from one house I was there Sunday night through Thursday morning and then went to the other house Thursday night through Sunday morning and that happened yeah every week for six years so it was like and that was what you know my parents had decided come to an agreement um i think there, you know there were some issues about like not wanting to take anything custody to family court or whatever sure. um and so you know my brother and i didn't know any better <laughs> and that's just the way things were um mm -hmm. and uh and 
you know, there was that I remember feeling really embarrassed about saying like, oh, my, my parents are divorced. Um, and that just seemed to add insult to injury onto the fact that I was already like a super weird <laughs> and I already had like so many problems making friends and fitting in. Um, and then, you know, so I started writing and really got into diving into things that way. And I mean, it took me, honestly, it took me into like, got clean years down the road yeah. to be able to actually make friends with people. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it makes total sense. Again, we, we, we talk about this a lot that, that, you know, a lot of us go into uh, using substances. So we feel some sort of connectivity and, you know, we yeah. had just spoken with Edward Furlong, uh, you know, actor from Terminator two, where he talked about mm-hmm. uh, having to have three screwdrivers before he went out and his girlfriend at the time is freaking out. And he's just like, I, I can't even get comfortable if I don't. I don't know how to relate to people and, and also mirroring that feeling awkward as a child and not fitting in. Yeah, uh, that not fitting in part really, really uh, stood out. It was kind of just like a knife in my, my entire childhood. Um, and I, you know, the crazy thing about it was that I didn't ever really struggle with school mm-hmm. work. I, you know, I didn't like go off the rails and until really after I graduated <laughs> high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I managed to like, you know, keep everything together and make it look like I was doing okay. And that probably added quite a bit to like when I finally did explode, um, <laughs> I was just done with everything, right. you know? And then when I was 16, I chose to stay with one parent uh, because it was the parent who wasn't really around and who, you know, like to, to live with them both sure. times. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, weren't really around and they weren't paying attention. So I could just do whatever I wanted and didn't have to follow the rules. So I uh, put myself in that situation and it it didn't help things. There's, you know, there's a lot of gaslighting and emotional abuse and, yeah. you know, living with a parent who has serious, who struggles with mental health issues a lot and has their entire life. Yeah. You know, that's that's rough when it's just, you and them. Um, and, and I had no idea, you know, and for the longest, longest time, I was convinced that everything that went wrong, or every explosion or every, you know, like big thing that happened was my fault. Um, And that that's the way I grew up, like believing that it was all on me. And so I carried that around for a long time, too. And uh, and it, it took me some serious work to get to the point where I realized like, oh, wow, okay. Like I'm not responsible for anyone else's stuff and I do actually deserve like what I want. Yeah. You, you know, it's me. interesting. You brought up something that, that I unfortunately had to do some reading on gaslighting and you're our first guest here in, you know, what are we over 40 episodes now to really talk <laughs> about gaslighting. Now, is that something mm-hmm. that maybe through therapy, I, I had read something you had done, you know, which we'll get to the, the prison stuff. And when you got into your, your substance abuse and addiction, but, um, that you work through gaslighting. Cause a lot of people may not even understand the concept of, of gaslighting, what it is and how people do right. that to one another. Yeah. Um, my, you know, I've never had to explain it to someone else. I've always just been like absorbing on my end. Sure. Um, my my take from it is that you know it's it's a really deep level manipulation of somebody else when you're gaslighting somebody, and um, 
in my experience, or at least <laughs> the way that I'm able to recognize it when it's happening, is that it's it pulls it draws so much on on like guilt tripping yeah. and on um, drawing out the things that you know any person really cares about or finding their buttons, pushing their buttons, and then pushing them so hard to a point where there's really not a lot left to like, you know, stand up and hold up and then, and then turning it around again and saying, Oh, that didn't happen. Yeah. No, you're like, you're just making this all up. It's great. Like, it's fine. Don't overreact. You're making a big deal out of it. Or, you know, I never said that, or I don't remember it or whatever, but then it, it leads to like the victim really just being so confused. And it, yeah. it turns into like an internalization of always doubting yourself. Yeah. Yeah, especially yeah. with those that, that uh, you know, so folks, it's definitely something that I'd look, you know, more into if you've been through to what Catherine's talking about, where, and Mikey, you can take it like, it's a situation, someone that you should be trusting, and they just flip mm -hmm. your relevance on, on an event or a series of events, or even other people in your world, or it's almost like sitting there and convincing someone that a fork is a spoon and a spoon is a fork. And you go through all that and then they ask you to go, hey, go grab the spoon. And you, you grab what is actually a fork that they've been telling you is a spoon forever. And then they get mad at you for grabbing at that item that is wrong, that they painted the whole paradigm of how you see and think about stuff. And it is, for lack of yeah. a better word, it's a major mind and emotional fuck. It's, it's really screwy. Boy, do I know all yeah. too well about that. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> uh. It exists a lot more than, yeah. Yeah. like, I think most people think, you know, and it happens all the time to various degrees. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, for sure. So when you decided to pick uh, which house to live in, 16, was that the age where they allowed you to? Or was that, I? has the age changed um, over the years? No, it was, so nothing went, nothing went to the court. Oh, there was that's no right. legality in this at all. So sure. I basically left one's parents' house and never went back. <laughs> uh -huh. Kind of like put your <laughs> um, foot down. I'm, yeah, yeah, and there was no way to stop me, you know. And I, I had already been like working jobs and saving money, and you know, like buying groceries <laughs> sure. um, for the house. And like I was doing everything on my own already, so I was like, uh, no, nah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna stay in one place, and then I won't have someone telling me I can't go out with right. my like well, the few friends that I had. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's totally. I've um, I knew a few people back in high school and whatnot who had the you know separated parents and whatnot, and there was always the one parent that wasn't as strict as the other, and then yeah. I would see them go with the less strict one, and then I would start to see that person slowly grades start to drop eyes were a little bit more red coming to school you know all that <laughs> right. good stuff and whatnot so yeah. yeah yeah i feel like that's a uh, unfortunately pretty common you know you go with like the less strict parent because you're going to do what you want to do because you've been through all of this gnarly stuff and you just need to get away from it i'm assuming that's where the um drug usage came in right around then yeah it was it was um right around after I graduated high school. So, mm -hmm. you know, there had been like dabbling. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. Like, a couple joints here, here and, there. and there. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, it was whenever things were around, it was like, Hey, no big deal. Sure. Uh, no big deal. Um, <laughs> and then 
it was the the night before our uh, graduation, like practice mm-hmm. or whatever. I um, was hanging out with a couple of guys and got just so high. I think I smoked an entire bowl by myself and had never done that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought these guys were friends and I had like spent the night over there before and, you know, guys that live, I mean, one of their moms, he lived with his mom. And um, I felt, I felt safe in that place and got so high that I, I really couldn't talk or like move or Mm -hmm. say much of anything. It's just one of those. And, and so I was sexually abused by both of them that night and didn't remember it for years until like I had a huge, just like flashback awareness um, when I was in rehab. So, I mean, that was like, okay, like two and a half years later, (laughs) but I had blocked that down for a long time. And so after, I mean, like (laughs) the next morning I got up and went to our high school um, for the graduation practice. (laughs) Like like no big deal. Not anything. Whatever is the word I was trying to say. Then, you know, looking back on it later, I realized like after that, it didn't start with using first after that, but I really went hardcore with like, I slept with anybody, yeah. <laughs> honestly. Um, and, you know, I wasn't going out to like, like looking for those situations to put myself in the situation. But now that I look back on it, I understand like, okay, so that was about me trying to take my power back. Yeah, Even right. when I didn't consciously remember <clears throat> what had happened. That was, you know, part of like my summer after high school and, um, you know, getting ready for college and figuring out what I'm going to do. Then I started, I started dating this guy who was just, just one of those guys that (laughs) people tell you to stay away from, you know, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, totally. I'm all about this. Let's do like, we're ready to go. Um, and he, he was the first person who ever gave me heroin and didn't, uh, Oh, wow. didn't tell me what it was just laid out a line and said here you'll love it and I was like yeah okay and I I fell in love with it like it was yeah that that night was a moment that I was just like oh this is the best thing I've ever felt in my entire life and uh you smoked it I'm assuming or snorted no, I, sn- I snorted it yeah oh, you snorted it um yeah and then I moved to smoking and then I'm I moved up or down from there, however right. you want to look Get at what it. you're saying, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and it was uh, it was crazy. He actually, you know, I, I asked later, like, what is this? Is yeah. The best thing, like, I feel, like, so great in myself. And, like, oh, that was, that did the complete opposite of what I thought it would do, what I wanted it to do. I thought it would shut you up. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Hanging out with a person like that, right? Which, yeah. needless to say, I am not with anymore. Um, and so it was like, it was around um, a lot more frequently. And I had no idea how badly this guy was into it himself mm-hmm. um, until, you know, much, much later. And then I remember the very specific day that I 
I actually made the decision. I actually made the decision to become addicted to heroin. Like it was a conscious, I remember the moment. Really? Um, yeah, which is just one of those <laughs> weird things. And, you know, I wasn't in like an emotionally healthy place, obviously. Sure. Um, um, but I had, so I had just, I guess, broken up with someone else I was dating. And I was not, not happy in any way. And I went over to, um, to a friend's house who had it and asked if, like, hey, give me a loner. Like, this is what just happened. And, you know, I'll get you back. But, like, I can't, I can't handle this right now. And I was, I had chosen to do summer classes at college. Mm -hmm. So this was, this was the summer after, the summer after my first year of college. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I had already like been going to school and I had been, you know, dabbling and using and dating this crazy guy. And, um, and then it got to the point where like, I'd broken up with someone else. I was destroyed and I was like, I have so much to do. I have all this schoolwork. I have two jobs. I can't, I can't function. Like right. I just need to shut everything down. Like no emotion whatsoever. And so, you know, I got <laughs> what I thought I needed and I spent a weekend on that friend's couch. Um, like just smoking heroin all day. And I told, like, I remember having this thought. I was like, if I keep doing this, like, right now or tomorrow when I wake up, I'm going to be physically addicted to it. And, like, this is something that I am aware of. I'm, like, going downhill. Yeah. And I was just like, well, screw it. I don't care anymore about, <laughs> about like, anything. Um, and so I just kept going. And then that was, yeah, that took the cake. <laughs> well, it's the crazy thing about addiction that, that those that um, haven't suffered from it, thank goodness, uh, be nice if we had more that folks and then zero people that ever suffer from addiction again, yeah. but um, that, that don't get is where the, the all those things and all those elements that are in the, the addicted part of the brain that, you know, want to drive out all the negative self-talk, all the terrible things that have all those terrible feelings that it's where it can just that gets in the driver's seat over the part of the brain that actually cares about this being that physically, mentally and emotionally and a contribution towards society and everything else. Yeah. And it just goes away. It's, oh, my God, that's so heartbreaking yeah, and relatable. I, I remember moments <laughs> like that. Yeah. And I, yeah, I always, you know, I wondered for a long time, like, okay, what's wrong with me where I actually, I actually made this decision. I made this choice and it, uh, you know, it comes down to like, there's a certain point where we as people can only take so much until it just becomes about desperation and survival, yeah. you know? And I think that's, that's the point that I had reached, you know? And and I was like, just trying to get away from so many things. I felt like they were coming after me all at the same time. I also, uh, excuse me, so we're injured, <laughs> injured myself rock climbing, um, and had like serious nerve damage in my lower back. So throw that on top of, you know, emotional and mental turmoil. And then, you know, being in constant pain all the time. And the doctors that I went, I went to, I went to like, 12 different doctors um and they all told me like oh your backpack's probably too heavy or like oh you just do some stretches and i had like ripped open all the nerves in my back oh my god um 
And so like it took, it, you know, it was months. So all of those things put together and I was just in constant pain. And, and then I also realized that like when I was using, I was able to, it sounds, it sounds like I'm full of myself, but I was able to dumb myself down to be able to have conversations and interactions yeah. with the people who are around me. So like, I mean, I, I graduated high school with my entire first year of college credit transfer. Right. So my first year of college, I came in as a sophomore already. Um, and I, I was in the international baccalaureate program in high school, just like above honors or AP, um, which allowed me to transfer all those credits. And I didn't study for my finals. Like I didn't sure do anything. Um, and I also didn't have any friends. <laughs> I was done with people. And I was like, I, no one else could have a conversation with me. And then, you know, from having been uh, misunderstood, manipulated, gaslighted for so long, I didn't know how to interact with people who might have looked at me weird if I said something that was, you know, so I just, I cut everyone off. And I... Uh, and it's so shitty to have to cut off that intellectual part of yourself. Whereas, you know, know. It, now it's yeah. so, it's, you know, now, now that I'm older, it's like so great to sit and have a conversation with someone that is bringing new information, ideas, and concepts to the table. <laughs> whereas, you know, years ago, it was like, you know, being out, being drunk, man, the color blue is awesome, right, Dave? <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, why are we talking yeah. about the color blue? Oh, yeah, because we're shit ass drunk. It's like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, there's the threshold. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're only going to get so intellectual. I want to back up for yeah. a second. So when you did the mm -hmm. first line with your boyfriend at the time and when he told you what it was, what was mm -hmm. your reaction when he first, this is heroin? Were you kind of just like, oh my gosh, I just did heroin? Or were you kind of just like, no, nah, fuck it, it is what it is? I was just like, oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was, there, was, there was nothing at that point that I think shocked me, surprised right. me. I was just, I, you know, <laughs> felt at one with the universe. It was like, bring it on. Anything that comes my way, I'll take it. I'll try it. I'll like do whatever because I'm done Yeah. trying to be perfect and still getting nothing out yeah. of it. Yeah. So I just kind of <laughs> went in the opposite direction. But no, I didn't. I didn't care. Like I look back on so many things and I'm like, oh man. It's I, just gnarly. I yeah. was totally like, we're man, thank you so much. But like Well, and connecting the I dots connecting the dots for people that, that again that may not understand or have a loved one going through it. So at this point you've grown up where family's been divided, you've been mm -hmm. mentally, emotionally, and sexually manipulated and abused and violated. Mm -hmm. uh, it's kinda like no wonder the state of euphoria people wonder like why well, what's the appeal well yeah you get the state of euphoria and almost escapism again you know yeah um, and it's so yeah. so powerful and instant it is and there's and then you don't have to do anything else i mean beyond get more yeah. <laughs> when mm -hmm. that becomes you know the only thing that matters after that but everything else you take it or leave it yeah and that's the place i got to. <laughs>
Of course, if you're listening, don't forget to click the link in the podcast description to buy your copy of Knocking Doors Down, the autobiography by Carlos Vieira. It's about taking his 13 years of cocaine addiction, over 14 years sober, and doing something more purposeful with your life. If you're looking for a story of inspiration, then get yourself a copy of Knocking Doors Down right now by going to either kddmediacompany.com or click the link in the podcast description right now. So at what point did, when it starts to become serious trouble for you? I mean, like you said, school, two jobs, uh, a very intelligent woman, you know, hardworking, loved your writing. I'm guessing, you know, work, school, and your writing started to suffer and other things came about. Yeah. um, It was actually health issues that... Started me on the road <laughs> to getting clean. It took uh, took six months, um, but I so I was you know doing and I can't you know I can't remember how much heroin I was doing every day, but it was a lot. Um, <laughs> and I was smoking three packs of cigarettes a day, and I was like, oh, Jesus, just yeah, and and, and so it was like winter in Colorado, and I'm walking to school, and I. <laughs> was the person who got to class and sat down and was coughing and wheezing for air for the first 15 minutes of the class and then passing out (laughs) like nodding off during class um and so I finally I got sick like I couldn't breathe and I couldn't take more than two or three steps without like having to stop and like catch my breath and I thought it was a cold but it lasted her way longer coronavirus um, so yeah <laughs> at that point well yeah no it's okay because this part is is it's not funny but it's kind of funny uh i uh called the ambulance and they had them come pick me up uh take me to the hospital mm-hmm. and i didn't tell anyone that i was a heroin addict sure, because yeah. why would that occur to me um of course not yeah no so i get to the hospital and they run all these tests and put me on oxygen and like um, try to figure out what's going on with me. And they actually thought I had tuberculosis. So they put oh, wow. me in a like quarantine tuberculosis room and people in like hazmat suits and like the whole, uh, the little like vent- vents that goes outside pumping yeah. air out and mm-hmm. everything. And um, I didn't tell, <laughs> didn't tell anyone that it was because <laughs> I had been shooting heroin, which at that point I was then, because there was no point in trying to, you know, snort or smoke <laughs> anymore, huh? Yeah, like yeah, and and you know, smoking so many cigarettes, and um, then they, I, the doctors, whoever finally like came to me and talked to me about it, they probably did some blood tests and found it. I'm sure, assuming sure, that's yeah. what happened. Um, and my oxygen levels were at 67 percent which is why i couldn't breathe and i had burned out like a fourth of my total lung volume so i was in like pretty bad shape um and i don't remember how long i was in the hospital it had to have been four or five days six days i mean so they kept me there trying to like get me to heal and i was coughing up my lungs and um then I was withdrawing at the same time and it was mm. like my brain was gone I was not there um 
but then you know I had I had some family members come in and like get serious with me and ask me about like rehab you know this is something that we want you to do you need to do it you're almost dying in the hospital are you willing to do it and I was like "Eh, yeah okay all right like I did not want to. Yeah, no, that, that's, but, that wasn't a yeah. serious tone. That wasn't like the yes, no. absolutely. He's <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, I was like, no, not really. But uh, yeah, so I I um, agreed to go to rehab and went out for a month, 30 days. And um, I, like looking back on it, it was a good place for me. I was like diagnosed with a few um with bipolar disorder and anxiety and depression and given so many meds for it um when i came into the rehab completely clean but of course i was still just like all messed up in my head and then during rehab was when i had that like memory flash you know of being sexually abused and everything just like slid into place and then it wasn't about me um getting clean anymore and like rebuilding my life as it was like sifting through all these pieces of like oh my gosh these things make sense um I did not stay clean when I left rehab that's what Um, I was gonna ask yeah dove right back into it all over again because that was what I wanted I went into the hospital one more time for three days my lungs were better. They weren't as bad. I was driving to Colorado Springs from Denver. I lived in Denver. Driving to Colorado Springs to actually visit the parents that I had chosen to stay with mm-hmm. um, when I was in high school. And at that point, I, I was not aware of nearly how toxic this relationship was in my life. So it was still like this. I was yearning for something yeah. that they yeah. were not willing to give. Um, and it took me a long time to come to the place where I was like, oh, okay, fine. That's fine. I'm good. Um, yeah, there's just no so emotional I, maturity there on any level whatsoever, right? Yeah. And so I, I drove down to Colorado Springs and I had to stop halfway there um, and take a nap. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> because I had, you know, just gotten myself <laughs> so high before I left. Um, and and I, I got to the parents' house and it's passed a, out. It's almost like subconsciously you definitely knew that you were not going to be able to go into that setting sober. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sure it was conscious. I'm, yeah. And I think, like, at that point, I was already well aware of the fact that this was not a healthy relationship. I still hadn't come to the place where I could recognize and accept the fact that I I wasn't obligated to maintain it. Mm. Um and that I, I didn't owe this person anything. So it was, you know, a lot of pressure coming from like what I had been raised to, to believe was that I owed right. everyone else for my existence. Um, and nothing was for me, which <laughs> makes sense why I ended up where I ended up. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I passed out of the house and, um, and my little stash and my kit was found in my car and turned into, I think it was 
so the, the parent that I visited was dating someone who was a paramedic and they took what they'd found of mine into their police friends and said, please come arrest her. Uh. So I got woken up in the morning after getting out of the hospital in Colorado Springs um, by the cops. <laughs> so I, and, and I got a, um, I had a felony, I can't remember the numbers anymore because that's also been a long time, but it was a possession of the schedule one narcotics sure. possession. Um, and it was, nothing was ever found on me. It was, you know, turned in and like hearsay pretty much. I was going to say I, that's like hearsay. Did they drug yeah. test you or something? Cause you know, there's, Oh, I found well, this. I, it's his arrest him. You know right. what I mean? Right. It's kind of, and I just, yeah. And I, I spent three days in the hospital. So mm-hmm. I was detoxed and like, I felt like crap. Yeah. But it was out of my system for right. the most part. Right. And, and nothing was ever found on me. Um, but it, it, I mean, it was just a, Hey, you're my buddy. And you know, not from me, from the right. person who took this stuff to the police. Um, and it was never questioned, you know, they just showed up at the house with the dog, like, you know, missed my car and try to find out I had nothing on me. Um, and so like for a while I was, I would turn over in my mind, um, like, was that a, a terrible decision that I made? Like, I could have fought it. Sure. If, if I had fought those charges, I would have died. <laughs> I would have gone back and kept using, and definitely I would have died. Um, so it was a blessing but, so, yeah, in disguise. It really, it really was, and it, it led me toward exactly what I needed to get out of it. I am, um, I mean, I just, spent I spent 24 hours in jail and then the the um parent who <laughs> turned me in bailed me out um but I did re- I did realize when I spent the night in county that like this was not what I wanted you know almost yeah. dying and ending up in the hospital and going to rehab none of that was enough yeah. to take me to my bottom <clears throat> and uh, I would have kept going but the idea of having a felony charge hanging over my head for the rest of my life and like living with that label was it that was the thing yeah. <laughs> like yeah. um and it, it was enough to propel me forward and so i um yeah i went i went through some rough stuff after i got out of jail um because it, you know there were conditions of my bond from this parent that you know I couldn't leave the house. I couldn't go a mile away from them by myself. Oh, I couldn't Lord. talk on the phone. I couldn't get on the computer. I had to go to a 12 step meeting every day, but I couldn't drive myself. So mm. they had to take me and pick me up and like confirm everything. Um, so it kind of sucked back so in I, that really negative presence that had been there so long that, that was par- so part of the leading towards substance use that you right. know to well, silence that voice and now here you are bonded to them literally and yeah. you know yeah it, but in by all legality. ways right right and that oh. sucked hardcore um and i was offered the opportunity to uh participate in colorado's drug court program mm. um 
which is uh, that that is what saved my life in so many ways. And it's a, it's a two-year program where uh, first-time drug offenders have the chance to um, enter the program and, you know, it's going to court once a month. And for the first year, is going to group therapy once a week mm. and then having, um, you know, one-on-one with the therapist once a month, um, going to see the probation officer once a month and calling in every single day for random UAs. And like, you know, you have to prove for two years that you're serious about it. Um, and I was at that point, I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm ready to do what I have to do. Like I can handle this. And I was already, you know, I had already detoxed by the time (laughs) that I went to jail and then came back out. And so I was like, all right, fine. I'll, like, I'll do it yeah. because I don't have any other options. I'm not going to fight the charges. I'm going to try and, like, pick myself back up out of this. Um, and and so I started that, and it went fairly well, you know, but I, I still couldn't get away from his parents' house and, uh. you know, like, conditions of, of the bond. And even though, like, that had ended, there was still, you know, I slipped right back into those old patterns of, like, of believing that I was doing everything wrong, that I was like, I thought I was insane for thinking that this was not a healthy place for me to be. Um, And so after a few month or two of being in the drug court program, I (laughs) actually decided to use the resources that were available to me. And I I went to, uh, had a meeting with my probation officer and I told him, I was like, look, I really need some help because I was staring at um, the the cords of the blinds in the room I'm staying in last night and like seriously considering hanging myself with them. And like that scared me. So please get me out of this house. Mm-hmm. And they did, well, which great. was absolutely phenomenal. Um, you know, just a whole bunch of strangers whose like job it is in the legal system. They deal with sure. drug addicts and alcoholics all the time. Um, gave me a chance. Like they believed me and they were like, yes, you're asking for help. We will support you. Um, and they, they court ordered me to leave that house Holy Jesus. and to find a sobriety house. Yeah. So they were like on my team the whole time. And I, that was the, that was the first time in my life that I had ever gone to someone for help to get away from this situation with this parent and that someone had actually said, okay, yes, yeah. we will help you. Well, and that's really that's a strong you. thing to do that, you know, um, <laughs> and I've had conversations with other people in recovery where they're talking about family members and, and, you know, I remember a group meeting, you know, years ago where someone said, you know, it's okay that you're now the adult, anyone that's toxic, you don't have to, cohabitate interact with or whatever doesn't mean you don't love them it's just recognizing who is and isn't good for you right right what what may drive you back to those old patterns of thinking that lead down the road you know yeah you already know (laughs) yeah well that's amazing that you got that much help and got in so now you're in sober living i'm guessing work and school is way gone at this point and by the wayside yeah well school school's gone uh, totally. Um, but 
part of living in the sobriety house was that I had to get a job. And so I was working, but I, I really dove into uh, 12 step programs in Colorado Springs and like trying to find friends and community that way. Um, and I had stopped writing yeah. completely. And so while I was like building my life all the way back up and learning how to forgive myself and communicate with people and like finally navigate the responsibilities of life as an adult without carrying everything from everyone else at the yeah. same time. Um, yeah, that was a lot. So that was, that was a two year period in there um, where I was still in Colorado Springs. I was clean. Um, I was not writing at all, uh, which I, I later found out was that, you know, I discovered through myself that I was still, I was still punishing myself for making that decision Sure. to just go ahead and, you know, throw my life down the drain and <laughs> let myself become addicted, which is not how it works. Um, <laughs> no, no one, no ways. one was a 10 year old kid and goes, boy, I, at some point I really want to be hooked on heroin and go through legal trouble and, <laughs> You know, forget this one thing that made me feel good about me, you know. <laughs> it be awesome. Um, yeah, and, but I, I was punishing myself a lot. Um, and I, I couldn't write a single word of fiction. Yeah, that was it was the thing that made me me. It was like yeah. my cool. most defining, and it is again now. <laughs> but, it, you know, like I, I completely abandoned it because I – had had this belief nurtured and then had since nurtured it myself that I didn't deserve it right. anymore. Right. Um, and then, oh, it was like a, a month before uh, I hit two years clean. Well, I, I also, I graduated the drug court program mm, from awesome. all that. Um, and <clears throat> the one, one of the perks <laughs> of graduating besides you know obviously coming out of it on the other side um was that they they get the charges expunged from your record huh. permanently so well, it's like great. it never even happened yeah so it's not on my record and well, that's good. will not <laughs> it will not pull up on a background check yeah which you know hey if, if that was the thing that got me to finally stop and yeah. say okay i'll change it's nice. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. You know, so that was, was a very, very, very cool thing um, that they did, and they're still doing it. And um, so I, I had graduated from all of that and met my husband a month before uh, I was two years clean. That's and awesome. And he came with me to a meeting and saw me pick up a chip, you know, like <laughs> brand new. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, and, did he have any and, struggles with substance abuse either, or what, what, what was? Yeah, yeah, okay. He, he did. We we met at a a barbecue that was all people in Colorado Springs who were part of recovery. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, and I had, someone else had invited me to this barbecue, and they're like, "Oh, it's a really great group of people. Like, you'll love them. It's awesome." I was pretty pumped to go into something and like meet new people because yeah. things were feeling kind of static for a while. And I was like, I need something new. I need something else. I just showed up at the house and I knew every single person there except for my husband. <laughs> 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 like, Oh, cool. Uh, and our, 
our first conversation was actually, you know, talking about like what our biggest problems with drug use were and like, Hey, this is me. These are all the things that I did. And this is the baggage I come with next. Like your turn. Yeah. <laughs> that was our conversation. And immediately it was just like, you are the person that I waited in this city for so long. <laughs> so that was very cool. And, um, and he hadn't, he hadn't had as much clean time under his belt and he was still figuring things out. Um, but we, <laughs> we decided to do some crazy things. Uh, we moved in together after two weeks of dating. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those. It was so like, impulsivity really didn't quite go away yet. Yeah, no, not really. Yeah. But it, it was, you know, it was less of an impulse and more of like, I know. Hey, yeah. when you know, you know. Um, and you guys are still and together, so it was the right decision. Yeah, yeah. It's been eight and a half years. Yeah, we, we moved across the country together four months after we started dating. Wow. To South, South Carolina, where he's from. Yeah, and so we've been state hopping ever since. And we really? have a four-year-old now. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. Awesome. Little boy or little girl? Thank you. Girl. Oh, She just awesome. turned four. That's yeah. great. After, yeah, after eight huh? months of together, you guys moved together? Or eight months, you guys moved across we, country? Four months. Oh, four months. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. We, we just knew. We were in it. Yeah. So yeah. We got up and everyone thought we were insane. <laughs> um, they probably still do, honestly. Yeah. But like now they understand part of what makes us. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, if it works, it works. After four months, they'll graduate from texting me to calling me. And I'm just like, whoa, you're smothering <laughs> pump, me. Here. Pump the <laughs> <laughs> you know, but yeah, it goes to show everybody. I forget what the saying or how it goes is something like true love is it from, from something about true love from onlookers appearing as if it's insanity. But it's like mm, people yeah. that are really in it together and focused and focused on the marriage and everything else that outsiders aren't going to get it and they shouldn't get it and don't have to get it. And then it's like at the end of the day, it's like, Great. screw you. What does it matter? It's the marriage and unions between two people and the family they create. So, you know, yeah. as long as it's and positive. Oh, totally. All all the way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that that was that was a really great thing to yeah. have, like be able to finally then you know meet like <laughs> the other half of myself absolutely um, sure. which which was yeah it it helped so much and having someone else who understood going through addiction and going through the whole overhaul yeah was huge yeah um and yeah then it took me another two years after i met him to be able to forgive myself enough to start writing again um and then I finally picked it back up after we got married um, and hit the <laughs> hit the writing and publishing road and uh, heading toward my author career. And I, I mean, you know, it's all because of my husband that I am able to write full time and do this whole thing. And like, that's amazing. Wouldn't even be possible without him. <laughs> Yeah, that's incredible. I remind him every day. So, so what were some yeah. of the, the inspirations for some of when you were first started writing again? Was it just, were you just doing exercise writing? Was it things that you had thought about forever but had really held back and hindered? Was it your own traumas and experiences that you were throwing into science fiction stories? Or, uh, you know, what was it that you were really exploring? Is that really, you know, 
the art always interests me about what our circumstances influence, you know? Right, right. Um, and I love that. It's, I love looking back on it and seeing all these things. That, um, the first book that I wrote after I got clean, um, Sleepwater Beat, and it's book one in the Blue Helix series. This is LGBTQ dystopian sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, and I call it uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo meets X-Men. That's how I like to describe mm, it. Okay. It's, you know, people have... <clears throat> People have superpowers, um, but it's with the spoken word and the storytelling. Um, and it's a super dark, gritty <laughs> reflection of our world. Um, I finished I finished writing it um, when I was pregnant with my daughter mm-hmm. and published it, uh, really, two years later. Um, it took a long, it took a long time. Um, but that first book was me testing out whether or not I could still write. Sure. <laughs> um, and I was terrified that I couldn't, I was terrified that I had forsaken my craft and my passion for drugs and doing whatever with my life. And that like, now that I had gone through all of that and come back again and had taken four years away from not touching a single word, I was terrified that I'd lost it, like that it was just something that could just fly yeah. away. Um, so I, it, yeah, I struggled with that for a while too. But this, um, excuse me, this book in particular is a huge reflection of myself. And I had never poured as much of myself into another character as I did into Leo Tiefler's main character of the first book. Um, and it had, I mean, it had so many things, you know, just like broken home, family stuff, addiction, drug, drug addiction within a family, um, you know, having, um, suicides in the family and yeah. family abuse growing up and all, you know, the, the discomfort and just like a lot of the places that I spent a lot of time in when I was yeah. growing up and then, you know, went on to like in more broad terms, talk about, you know, I wanted to lend more voices to the LGBTQ community and to people with mental illness and to uh, people living on the fringes like survivors you know um and so i i wrote that into this character and there's so many things in that book that are autobiographical and like the tiniest details um like the name of her dad's drug dealer and the shoes that he wore (laughs) because i knew both of those very well um that's you know, like, and yeah, just putting in tiny, tiny snippets like that here and there. And that writing this character was writing who I felt on the inside right. for a long, long time. And, you know, then it, it's it's a dystopian story about, you know, people with superpowers who are being hunted and chased across the country by government agencies and terrified people who hate them for what they can do. Um, right. <laughs> so there's there was a lot of of 
self-reflection in that. And I was so afraid to put this book out there into the world because this was like one of those like, oh man, people are going to read this. They're going to know exactly what I've done. They're going to know exactly <laughs> who I am. Like, it has nothing to do with me, but I was like so afraid of putting it all out there. Um, and this was the, the second book that I had uh, traditionally queried to publishers and agents and it was rejected. Nobody wanted it. Um, and that was my first international bestseller when I, nice. I did it on my own. Yeah. That's thank incredible. you. So it just, it kind of took off and it was very exciting. And I have still <laughs> to this day, uh, not received any feedback from anyone that's like, Oh my gosh, you're a terrible person. Like, why would you write something like that? Uh, yeah. This is awful. So that, you know, that's very nice. <laughs> um, and it, it opened a lot of doors for me and it, yeah, really got the ball rolling that book specifically. And then, you know, reaffirmed for myself that I actually did not lose my ability to write and most likely it improved yeah. <laughs> over the, you know, over that time where I was really living in it instead of, yeah. I don't know, trying to escape from it through writing. I was, yeah. Well, that's, that's kind of, you know, before we, we were talking, when we got on recording, a lot of the concept behind the, the 5150 brand, our sponsor, and knocking doors down and what it's about is you get, you know, as people, we have all these adversities and we can turn them into an advantage. We can take a, you know, checkered past and all those things and use it to fuel positivity for other people and, and mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the using of, of chemicals and abusing it, you know, we're looking for connectivity and now we can take it and actually in sobriety and have connectivity and, and go, right. hey, you know, hey, Mr. X, whoever you are, Mrs. X, I, I'm not judging you. I've been there. I'm the, you know, and you can share those war stories. You know, it reminds me of, of uh, David, a gentleman that was a Marine Corps veteran we had on here who PTSD, and he was talking about how mm-hmm. him and other soldiers could really relate and connect in a way. And it's the same with with addicts and the stuff that we go through. You know, because you're not going to find too many stories of people. Yeah, I partied like crazy. Nothing negative ever happened, and then I just went, I'm going to get sober, and it was fine. You know, it doesn't. Yeah. You know, there might be some of those rare stories, but not not too many. Right. So. Not yeah, it's not usually what happens, and I I think that the best part you know and I, I wouldn't change anything that I've been through sure. for the world because you know that's how I got to where I am right now and I'm really happy. Yeah, led you to your husband, right your kids, all that yeah. good stuff. So yeah, it all happened yeah. for a reason. That's Successful it, it career, did. you know, being able to just just yeah. write and do your passion for a living. It's like. I don't know. For me, that's like, that's success. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. Totally. There yeah. are all different versions of it. But yeah, this is definitely, definitely a level of success that um, I wasn't sure I was I was going to reach, you know. Yeah. Um, Getting paid doing what you love to do. That's the American dream. Yeah. It is so great. <laughs> it is so great. And I don't, I don't even have to leave my house. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that part too. The, the leaving the house part is still. So you're an introvert, then I'm guessing. So much. I mean, I can like I can sit in a computer and talk with people and be totally fine. But oh, I'm, I, feel I, I rarely leave the house. <laughs> so COVID hasn't been as challenging for you as some others on a person no. individual. Yeah. Uh, no, I I I think I saw a meme a while ago at the beginning of of COVID that was like. 
all the introverts are sitting back like, welcome to my world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I are. feel it. Yeah. I'm a total introvert yeah. myself. So it's like, yeah, we got to stay inside. Okay. No biggie. <laughs> Not, no, no problem. I didn't want to see anybody today anyway. Not me. <laughs> I, I, I kind of have the, I have my moments of being an introvert, but boy, like, you know, getting together with folks, speaking in person, group meetings, whatever it is, all those things in, in person, you know, just sitting and having a good discussion with some of my favorite people over coffee or whatever. Mm. Yeah, no, it's to- totally a challenge for me. Totally. It's been, been a difficult thing. And lucky for us, that that's our excuse. You know, someone calls us, hey, you want to go do this? You want to go do that? Oh, dude, I totally would, but we're in a pandemic right now, so I kind of got to stay inside. So, I'll catch you next time, though. <laughs> quarantine continues. Rain check for yeah. whenever it stops. When, I don't know. When this ends, like 2022, I'll give yeah. you a call. <laughs> oh, shoot. Just, you'll have to remind me about it. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, don't call. I'll call you. Don't call me. <laughs> Uh, uh, Catherine, before we get to some uh, fun, rapid questions here, um, (laughs) if people want to find out more about uh, about the work you've done, you you know, your books with your, you know, you know, your own name on it or some of those other ones, uh, website details, how how can they find out more about your work? Absolutely. Um, Everything about me and my books um, is on my website. So that's CatherineHudsonFiction.com. And I guess anyone who's listening will see the spelling of my name. It is spelled very strangely, so yeah. you won't find it unless you put all the letters in in the right order. Um, and I'm also on Facebook and Instagram at, as uh, Catherine Hudson Fiction and on Twitter at Exquisitely Dark. Excellent. And then, yeah, if you're following us on any of our social media platforms, we do follow Catherine, so you can find her under our follows list. And, of course, her website is in the uh, podcast description, too. There. You can click on that link and for her social media as well. All right. These are fun questions. Have a good time with them. Um, Mikey, you go first. Catherine, if they yeah. were to make a movie about your life, who would you cast to play you? <laughs> it's like screw you mikey i don't know (laughs) these are fun Catherine. come on that's like not what you're not having fun i'm having a blast right now these are fun so so much fun it's just like i have to go really fast no 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 no. you take it out ellen page oh okay i like that yeah she's great yeah and what genre do you think it would be? You could make it, if you as a creative writer could make it any genre, would you sci-fi because it's kind of your niche, comedy, drama, uh, you know, documentary? Hmm? <laughs> you know? About my life. I would I would want to make it a comedy. <laughs> I would, yeah. I want, like a dark comedy. Dark comedy, yeah. Well, it, being yeah. some of your topics, you kind of deal with some dark <clears throat> stuff. I'm like, how can this lady who's so jovial and has such a great sense of humor about some screwy shit that's happened just be like, nah, it's right. This is my dark place, I guess. Yeah, it's, yeah, I, I learned how to compartmentalize. So, like, yeah. all, the, all the dark stuff gets written down and then here I am. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I got to do that. Over. Yeah. I suck at compartmentalizing. Um, <laughs> All right. Uh, if you could have dinner with just one person, living or not, who would it be and why? Johnny Cash. 
Ooh, oh, I like that. Um, my son's middle name is, is Cash for a reason. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, I love his music, and I have covered some of it. And really? I, you know, I, he's been through. Yeah, I, oh, I also play piano and sing, but not like at a professional level. I've done some gigs, and then I had a kid. What <laughs> <laughs> um, changes everything? But, yeah, um, but I, I do. I do love his music and he's been through, you know, very much the same thing. Oh, he's been through and it, yeah. he, you know, just like listening to some of the last older stuff that he did mm-hmm. before he passed mm-hmm. just makes me just be like, God, I got your soul, man. Let's just yeah. hang out together. For a yes. Some of the and, cover stuff he did at near the end of his life was very moving. I know a lot of people definitely got it when he did his version of Hurt, the Nine Inch that's Nails That's the first song. one that I thought of when you said the later ones was Hurt. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's the one that I love to cover the most. Sure. Um, and it's just me and a keyboard and like very simple. But uh, yeah, that, that song hits hits me hard and i know that nine inch nail said that like it was actually johnny cash's song (laughs) he could have it you know um and yeah i i would love to sit down and learn from the guy about his experiences and just Hang out. You wouldn't even have to talk even. I'd be okay. <laughs> we, we have a lot of people come on and we'll ask them the same questions. If anybody who listens, you know, continuously to this, they know that I would pick De Niro. I always said Robert De Niro. But Johnny Cash, that made me rethink. I didn't even think of that. Ooh. I would love to sit down with Johnny Cash. I think that would be incredible. Yeah. That's yeah. good stuff. Yeah. Okay. What are your, <laughs> if any, pet peeves? What are some of your pet peeves? Not closing cabinet doors. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm 6'3", and my son does that. I have bopped my head so many times. <laughs> it's so bad. Um, not not using blinkers oh. like other people, like in their cars. Like I I get as road ragey as I probably ever. See, I got mixed signals with blinkers. Like if you're in a red light and it's a turning lane, you're in the turning lane, and that's your only option. You can't go straight. You have to go left here. What about a blinker then? Oh, I don't care about that. Okay, okay. Obviously, everyone knows you're turning. I'm sure. talking about like the guy coming down me on the road, and I'm like, you know, waiting for him. Yeah, yeah waiting for him to gotcha. pass. Gotcha. But then he's taking a left turn, and I'm, I'm like, I could have done this 20 seconds ago. What is wrong with you? Yeah. Oh, you know yeah. why I'd be waiting for 20 seconds? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was driving with my mom, and she's just like, "Why isn't your blinker on?" I'm like, "I'm in the turning lane." She goes but you need to have your blinker on. I'm like, it's yeah, there's nowhere else to go. You know I'm turning. What do you mean? Everyone knows I'm turning. Yeah, it's almost yeah. like I'm being condescending turning on a blinker lane. Like, hey, just in case anybody needs to know, I'm going left. So, But yeah, if you're waiting for someone to come down and you're trying to go right and they ended up going right, it's like, dude, you couldn't have told me. I totally get right. that. Um, yeah. totally get that. That's too funny. Those are the top two uh, then? Those are your cabinets I, and blinkers. Yeah, well, it's hard. They sound really like I'm so interesting. What is it? No, hey. I have to think of like pet, more pet peeves. That's those are the only ones that come to mind right now. Well, honestly. perfect. You can have some of mine. I have a million of them. Oh yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't have a lot. Like I, I guess loud I need to chewing. Be more pissed off about something. Loud chewing. I hate loud chewing. Yeah. That's of like gum. my number one. Then stop That's... eating with yourself. And then loud chewing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not referring to myself. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, you <laughs> jerk. All right. Being that uh, of, of some of the, the subject matter of your uh, writing, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Oh. The power to turn on blinkers. <laughs> <laughs> kidding. Everyone. Everyone will have blinkers. Cabinets won't even open anymore. <laughs> because we're done with those. Um, ah, it would probably be either being invisible or flying. Yeah. That's kind of true yeah. that you've yeah. said that you would. I think that'd be t- I, I like the teleportation. Just like, bam, oh, I'm in New York. Yeah. Bam, I'm in Texas. You know, I don't got to fly. I don't got to worry about customs, going through customs. Yeah, it's just like instant. Crap. You're just yeah, no, there. totally. Sure, that's perfect for the introvert and, and all oh, of Oh, dude, things. totally. I don't have to see anybody really? on a plane. I don't got to share a bathroom with 30 no. freaking strangers. You just go. You don't have to look at anyone. Really. <laughs> you don't even need to look at anyone. Just blink and no. you're there. Oh, yeah. you, you two are killing me. <laughs> I feel you, Catherine. We're on the same page. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no. I, I know. Like, now, now that we've talked about transport, uh, teleportation, yeah. like, we're totally... Yeah. yeah. You two <laughs> simpatico. I'm going to go over here. Uh, your loud-ass chewing. <laughs> <laughs> don't have to listen to that either. All right. You don't even have to look at me anymore. <laughs> to be clear, I was not referring to Jason on the chewing. I just uh, meant anyone in general. It's <laughs> uh, <that's> okay. <laughs> Uh, I don't mind you, but you know, kicking my ass a little bit. Uh, Catherine, is there anything that you would like to share from from your story for those that are, you know, looking to get into recovery, have gone through recovery, or have loved ones that have that? Um, some words you'd like to leave with them about? Yeah, actually, and this um, this ties into you know pretty much all of the themes of my my writing now or at least i try to bring this into everything i write as one theme um that was such an important thing for me to learn and something that i hope through my work other people can learn as well is that that you know the mistakes that we make in our lives and the pain that we may have caused either to ourselves or to others um does not have to define the opportunities for where we take ourselves into the future. And that was the biggest hurdle for me to overcome. And once I realized that that was, that, that uh, you know, being an addict and then being in recovery doesn't mean that I'm less worthy of picking up my life, maybe not where I left it off, <laughs> but in a way that still is like a moving forward trajectory toward what I want yeah. and what I wanted to bring into my life to reach fulfillment. So it's that, you know, yeah, we're not defined <laughs> by the poor decisions that we make and we're not limited by them. And, um, and that I, you know, I do hope that other people can come to that understanding. It's what held me back for a really long time. Well, Miss Catherine Hudson, thank you. This is uh, this has been a real pleasure. We appreciate the uh, vulnerability and, and excellent sense of humor throughout it all. I, I, <laughs> you have such a positive, wonderful outlook on it. And, and again, for those that uh, want to find out more about Catherine's writing, um, we've got all the links for her website, social media, all in there. Follow her. If you're following us, uh, um, we are following all of her pages as well. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me on, guys. This has been awesome. I really appreciate it. Knocking doors down. Real people, real stories, real life. 
real discussions of life struggles including addiction, relationships, finances, and more, but even more importantly, living with them, overcoming them, and conquering them. Celebrities, experts, and everyday people talk about how they were able to break through whatever life handed them by knocking doors down. New podcast episodes are available every Thursday. Subscribe now on the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio app, or at kddmediacompany.com. Catherine Hudson, what a fascinating lady. Yeah. She was, uh, I mean, I enjoy talking to all of them, but her, like, I love her sense of humor. Like, her yeah. and I, that's what I meant by being on the same page. We definitely are on the same page with sense of humor. She she gets me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she is really a sign of uh, knocking doors down, you know, turning her life around, you know, getting into sobriety, meeting the love of her life, who she accredits her husband and support to being there. And we all need that support. We all want that support. We all want that connectivity. Becoming a mother and then not really having confidence and then becoming an international bestseller, you know, pinning not only her own books, but uh, uh, a ghostwriter with so many other different books. And it's just, it's crazy how when you look in the mirror, make that change of what you can do and accomplish. Yeah, and talk about things happening for a reason, too. Meeting her husband there as well. It's just like everything just leading up to this point. Now she's doing fantastic. Yeah, it's That's great. It's weird how chance meetings in life occur. Yeah, That's dude. For sure. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> well, we thank you guys for listening, and uh, hopefully you've subscribed to the podcast on whatever platform you're on. And uh, hey, leave us a review if you're on the Apple Podcast app. Leave us a review, that five-star rating. It helps us climb up the charts, spread the word to friends. And uh, again, we can't uh, do it without you guys or our sponsor, 5150. Uh, you can get the link there in the description. All the gear that Mikey and I wear when you see all the different videos that are up on social media. And now YouTube, of course. We do have the link in the podcast description for our YouTube channel. We are getting more of these interviews, the video version, where uh, you can see our handsome mugs and that of our guests uh, up there. We have one that we did with Brandon Novak earlier in the year that's getting some uh, some views. So make sure to go check it out. Subscribe to that YouTube channel. We will be pushing out more of these interviews onto the YouTube channel. So uh, please subscribe, share it on your social media, share it to a friend, anyone that you can think of that it might help them, find it interesting. We definitely appreciate it. Anything else, Mr. Naraki? No, I'm going home. On that note, keep knocking doors down. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. 
For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the knocking doors down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with their content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.